You're listening to the Community Church in Orange podcast. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, let's just pray for a moment and uh, kind of get our thoughts collected as we start tonight. Lord, I just thank you for your presence here tonight. I thank you for your faithfulness to speak to us. And Lord, even tonight, we ask for just a fresh word from you that you will give us insight, tools to use and minister throughout this week. And Lord, I ask for just your favor on the word that goes out tonight, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now listen, guys, uh, there's a lot of material I can cover for you tonight, but I'm going to try to keep it brief. And in about uh, five minutes, Terry LeBlanc is going to come through those doors with copies of notes for you. So don't worry, you're not going to miss anything, okay? So let's just start here at the beginning about prophecy It's one of those gifts that is getting a lot of press lately, right? We've been hearing prophets, prophets that are been longtime prophets, prophets with pink hair and, you know, long eyelashes and stripped jeans and, you know, prophets of every American, African, Australian, all over the planet. A lot of prophetic words are coming out. And so, and, and, and our first response is, at least my response, is very critical toward prophetic words that come out. And I don't think that's necessarily horrible to be cautious because just because somebody says I have a word from the Lord doesn't mean we just drink the Kool-Aid. We want to be a people who hear God's voice. And we don't despise prophecy, but that doesn't mean you accept all prophecy either. So there's a balance between hearing God's voice through prophetic voices and determining if this is God's voice and if it's not, how to respond in love when somebody's just a little overzealous. We're good. So we're kind of a church family here tonight. That's usually the Wednesday night crowd that comes out. And so I just want to teach you a little bit about prophecy tonight. And as we're going through this series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy is probably the one that everybody wants to get a part of. You know, how do I get become a prophet or move in the prophetic? And so just as a little backdrop, so there's three places in the New Testament where the scriptures speak of gifts. Three places in the New Testament. The first is in Romans, uh, or one of the places is Romans chapter 12, and those are the gifts that God gives. Many of those gifts are gifts that are people are born with. Uh, administration and prophecy is in that list of the gifts that God gives. And then you move over to Ephesians chapter 4, and then Ephesians chapter 5, and then he talks about the gifts that Christ gives, Jesus gives. And those are what we call the fivefold ministry the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. And in that collective list of gifts, there is the prophet or the gift of prophecy. And then you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, and the charisma gifts or the gifts of the Holy Spirit are there. And that's the gift of tongues, the word of wisdom, word of knowledge. I don't know if I want to list all of them for you. But in that gift list, there's also the gift of prophecy. And so there's the gifts of the Father, there's the gifts of the Son, and then there's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And between all three of those gift lists is the gift of prophecy. It's the only one that shows up in all three, if I'm not mistaken. And so as we speak about the gift of prophecy, we need to know that it's kind of important that God gives that gift, Jesus gives that gift, and the Holy Spirit gives that gift to the church. And it's a very important gift, not because it's just a power gift, but it's important because God wants us to be able to hear what he's saying. Not one person can be that voice in your life, like every time they speak, that's when God speaks. God wants everyone to have a direct connection with him. 
And prophecy is the ability to hear and then to see what God is about to do or has done outside of the framework of your timeline. As in, sometimes you can get a prophetic insight of something that's happened years ago. Even sometimes when you read the scriptures, you can get prophetic insight of what Jesus was saying when he said it 2,000-something years ago. That's prophecy. And then you can get foresight, what God is saying about the future things to come. And then even in the present tense, God can give you a prophetic word, which is insight into what really is happening. So that gift of prophecy, I'm going to unfold for you a little bit tonight. And my hope is it gives you some tools to um, navigate through. And then even as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, desire spiritual gifts. And then he says this, especially that you may prophesy. So a priority of gifts, and, and again, that, that context or that idea of gifting is kind of our way of looking at it, but it's just spiritual ability that God puts in us. They're handing out the notes in case you're wondering, so grab, a, grab one of those. Anyway, so as we look at the gift of prophecy tonight, like I said, it's in all three of the gift lists, if you will, throughout the New Testament. And the gift of prophecy, I believe, is something we as a church want to cultivate, you as an individual want to cultivate in your relationship with the Lord. So I'm going to start here at the beginning of the notes. Today, the gift of teaching on prophecy and prophecy are more common than in generations before. Let me restate that. Today, the gift and teachings on prophecy are more common than generations before. And by that, I mean in the last 20, 30 years. Prophecy has been around. The gift of prophecy and teachings on prophetic ability have been around since Jesus, right? But lately, it seems to kind of hit the highlight. And with that, prophetic words are subject, uh, well, let me say this. Because of this, there are more abuses and need for caution in the use and the reception of this specific gift or ability of prophecy. And I'm not saying that it's a license for us to be critical every prophetic word, but we need to be sober-minded about when people say, I have a prophetic word for you especially when it's about your life, very specific. Just because someone has a prophetic word for you, it doesn't always mean it's God's prophetic word. We want to make sure God's speaking it to you. In fact, the Bible warns us, hey, test the spirits and see whether they be of God. Okay? Uh, the prophetic words are subject to the boundaries of God's word. Even in that, prophetic words can never replace the direct counsel of God's word or God's authority. And we know these are kind of safeguards, right? When we're training people in prophetic gifts and how to move in those, we always tell them, don't prophesy about spouses, places to live, jobs to have. Because people can get tunnel visioned on those things unless God really gives you a clear, clear word. The best way to deliver a prophecy is to ask God for the scriptures that validate what you're saying. Because you can always go to the council of the scriptures. Does that make sense? We're all kind of on a place where we understand when somebody gives you a prophetic word and it goes in contradiction to God's word, that's not from the Lord, right? God's never going to tell you to divorce your spouse. God's never going to tell you to steal money. He's never going to tell you to, to have an adulterous relationship. He's never going to tell you to break the Ten Commandments. He's never going to tell you to, oh, you can lie a little bit about this. That's never going to happen. You know why? That's not God's will. It, it contradicts his character. Does that make sense? It contradicts his nature. And so God's never going to give you a prophetic word 
about violating the word of God. There'll be a contradiction. We know that. That's, that's common sense, if you will, 101 on prophetic insight. But many times, what we don't realize is all prophecy has to align with the word of God. It has to. There's no time that you should receive a prophetic word and you can't find supporting scriptures that are clearly supporting what someone is telling you. You should find it in the scriptures. It's getting kind of quiet in here, but we're going to keep moving, right? I'm getting this, this truth from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, verses 21. Now, 17 to 21, and this is the backdrop, and I've shared this before, but this is the backdrop of what prophetic words should look like. This is Peter writing this. You remember Peter, the, my favorite disciple, because he's the big mouth that makes the most mistakes. I always feel a little better about myself after I read about Peter, you know what I'm saying? And so he says, for we, sorry, Peter's writing about Jesus, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What is Peter talking about here? He's talking about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember this story? Peter, James, and John are there, and the sky opens up. Jesus puts on his divine nature real quick. His clothes become like a luminous white like no one can compare it to. And when Jesus is transformed before them, they hear a voice from heaven. God says to them that everybody can hear, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, this is my son. This is my beloved son. This is the experience that Peter's recounting here. Okay, so read on here. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mount, mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. He's saying this experience was just an ex- an, a confirmation or a fulfillment of the prophetic word given by the prophets about Jesus. And then read on what he says here. Knowing this first, the priority, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved on by the Holy Spirit. He's saying even in this experience that we had, it only affirmed what the prophets already said. And in fact, None of us can have a private interpretation about what prophecy says. The scriptures, as they're written, is the prophetic voice of God, not up for private interpretation. Let me tell you why I bring this scripture to light. Many of us will have experiences with God, a prophetic word, a dream, a vision. And if it doesn't align with God's voice speaking to us through the scriptures, you can't dis, you can't, Make your experience a higher priority of revelation than the word of God. We know this. But I just want to bring that to you because even when people give you prophetic words, you always bring it subject to the counsel of God's word, which brings us to this place of priority. If you don't know God's word, you're going to be deceived by feelings and experiences. You need to know God's word. There's nothing wrong with feelings and experiences. But you need to know the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need God's word. Okay? Um, 
So let's move into this. The gift of prophecy will also, just to highlight before we get dive too far into this, the gift of prophecy will also test the character you have. If you're impressed with power, this gift can become a stumbling block for you. Now, a lot of times, especially, you know, as, as, as the movement across the United States of God's spirit being poured out, which is a fulfillment of, of the book of Joel, which Peter repeats in the book of Acts, in the last days, God says, my spirit will be poured out on, everybody say the rest of the scripture, all flesh. I think that's a little bit of a warning to us. When God says, my spirit will be poured out on all flesh, he didn't say just to save flesh or people that are following him. Everyone will begin to experience encounters with God. If God's, if God's spirit begins to move in this way, which it is, people that don't even know Jesus are experiencing spiritual things, we have to have a filter or an ability to discern when it's the Lord and when somebody's just taking a, a little experience and parading it as this is God, right? And so God's spirit is being poured out on all flesh. It makes us, it cause, should cause us to rise to a place of responsibility where we're not just enamored with someone's prophetic ability. Does that make sense? And swayed by somebody's prophetic gifting. We have to be moved by the voice of the Father speaking to us through the counsel of the scriptures. There's a lot of doctrine going out. Well, you know, not all revelation is contained in the Bible. That's not true. All revelation is contained in the Bible. Now, God might speak to you through other ways, but it always comes back to the word of God that has to speak to you. When God speaks to you, you're going to find it in the scriptures. If you don't find the principle there in the scriptures, you need to question whether that's God speaking to you. God can speak through many ways, but it always comes back through his word. Why do I say that? Because when we get unhinged that, well, the Bible can mean anything, the scriptures can mean anything to anybody. No, they mean one thing in the way that they say it to you. Now, you can get a lot of different understandings about it. When the Bible says, you shall not murder, guess what that really means? You shall not murder, right? You shall not hate your brother. You know what that means? You shall not hate your brother. No excuses. And so the scriptures mean what they say, they say what they mean. And so prophecy or prophetic words may have different applications for that, but they should never change the meaning of what the, the core meaning of the scriptures are. Okay? Now, that we got all the, uh, what do we call those, the fine print out of the way. Let's dive into this. Why do we need prophecy? Number, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 14, verse 3, Paul writes and he says, But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. We need prophecy because how many of you feel great when God speaks to you? Anybody? We need it. Don't ever diminish the, the, the ability of God to speak to you, and it should make you feel good. If it makes you feel bad, he's probably speaking more than you want, and not, not, you're not changing something that he wants you to change. But it should lift you up. Even when God speaks to us in correction, it should edify us, exhort us, and bring comfort. When God corrects us, it's not a condemnation. There's a difference between correction and condemnation. Condemnation says this, you're a bad person. Correction says this is bad behavior, and this is not who you are. So when God speaks to us through prophetic words, I've seen people take this scripture and think that it should never be negative. Listen, there's sometimes there's a negative God needs to bring up in your life, and you got to deal with it. And that is a prophetic voice. God has to say something, hey, listen, you better cut, quit thinking like this. 
You might need less, a little less, less time on Netflix and spend more time in the Word. And sometimes God has a little prophetic word for you. He says, hey, I need some time with you. It's correction. When you can't respond well to correction, you're shutting down God's ability to speak to you in prophetic word. You have to be corrected. I have to be corrected. Anybody that ever gets to the place where they can't be corrected, they are two, three steps away from falling into sin. Right? Wise men receive counsel, receive rebuke. But the foolish, they just go on. They harden their heart. Okay? So why do we need prophecy? To be edified, exhorted, and comfort. Prophecy can be used to be corrected but not condemned. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. Paul says, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for edification of the church that you seek to excel. It's for what edification and also so it pushes us to excel. In what? Our relationship with the Father. All prophetic giftings should push us closer to Jesus. This is a very, uh, what's the word? Thin ice topic. Because a lot of times, people that operate in the prophetic, our natural response is, I want to follow them, the person. But we should be following Jesus, the giver of the gifts. Right? And if you find yourself going from one prophet to the other, there's a very dangerous habit you're creating in your life where you're seeking after a power moment rather than Jesus. How many prophetic words do you need? I remember one time I was at this conference, I was in, in Missouri, and uh, Prophet Phil, who was come and ministered here before, he asked me to be on the prayer team with him. I think Terry might have been there. He's everywhere I go, Terry. What's up? And we were in the front, and it was a crowd of probably maybe, it wasn't a huge crowd, maybe 100 people or so. And so he lines us up, me and, and a couple of the ministers that are with us, and probably Terry too, and he says, y'all can come to these guys and pray for, they'll pray for you and, and they'll give you a prophetic word. It's like, thanks a lot, Phil. Really didn't need that kind of pressure, you know. And so this lady comes up to us, and, you know, she comes up, and, and I start praying for her, and she didn't tell us anything. And so the Lord starts unfolding some things about her family and one of her children and bitterness and unforgiveness has come into her life and is causing problems in her body. And so in the middle of me telling her this, like I see the Lord, you know, tell me there's a child, there's a, a sib, uh, one of your kids, Need to re restore a relationship because that's what's causing. She stops me in the middle and says, listen, I've heard this before. I need something else. And I'm like, what do you think I'm doing up here? Dispensing candy? <laughs> like, <laughs> if this is the Lord, I don't know you from Adam and you don't want to deal with it. Go down to Terry. He'll have something better for you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but the truth is, a lot of times we go to God over and over. He keeps telling us the same thing. And we're like, I just need to go to the next prophet. You know what will happen? Eventually, you'll find somebody to tell you what you want to hear. But it won't be the Lord, right? You'll find somebody to give you an affirming word, if you will, because your emotional need creates a vacuum that somebody will fill. But that doesn't mean it's the Lord. Let me tell you a little secret before we ju jump to the next point here. Prophetic ability is not only, does not only come from the Lord. It comes from every spiritual being out there. Every spirit knows what you're thinking. And if you prostitute your needs out there long enough, some spirit will come by and tell you what you need to hear through somebody else with a thus says the Lord in front of it. Seeing into the spirit realm is just not an ability that the church has. The world has it. You can call 1-800-MADAM-SO-AND-SO, and she can see into the spirit and probably call some things out in your life. 
You can get around people and you can sense things. That doesn't mean it's the Lord. You're just picking up stuff. We are spiritual beings. And just because you have an ability to sense spiritual things, don't mistake that for the voice of the Lord or the approval of God's voice on your thoughts. That's why we need the word of God establishing our thinking so when thoughts, insights come in our own thinking or through other people, we have a filter that discerns this is the voice of the Father, this is not. That's why Hebrews, it says that the word of God is quick and powerful, able to discern the intents of the heart. It divides. The word of God tells you this is your thought or this is a thought that you got on that pizza last night after watching endless episodes of Barney Fife, or this is the voice of the Father, right? You can make your dreams happen. Did you know that? If you think about something long enough, you know what will happen? You'll dream about it. That's what Proverbs tells us. You'll dream about it. You dream about getting a new Cadillac. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. You know what you'll have a dream about? Getting a new Cadillac. It must be the Lord. No, it's not. You're thinking about it 24-7 for five days in a row, your mind's going to regurgitate what you put into it, right? And this is where prophecy many times gets confused with our soulish desires. Okay, stay with me. Why do we need prophecy? The last point, part it says, uh, for edification. We looked at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. How do we receive in the use of this gift? Let me just make this point here. Number one, the gifts are given by God. Now, some people are born with a prophetic ability, ability to see into the future, sense things in the spirit realm. That's where Romans chapter 12 comes in, where the gifts that God gives, there are people that are born with that ability, right? They're not superheroes. They just have a sensitivity to the spirit realm, right? And if the enemy can get in there and plague someone's mind and draw them into uh, witchcraft and things, that's usually because they were born with some level of sensitivity to the spirit realm. It's not a superpower. It's a God-given power, ability, if you will. Other people, they receive a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit as they're born again. And Christ puts in them a prophetic ability, and we call those people prophets, where they clearly can see things that are going to happen or have happened, and it's a natural ability that, I say natural, it's a spiritual ability that the Holy Spirit puts them into the office of a prophet. And then there's the charisma gift, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where God gives us an ability to prophesy. Everyone should be able to see in the prophetic. But that doesn't make everybody a prophet. The office of the prophet is someone that's raised up to use the gift or utilize the gift to teach others how to prophesy. That's how you know a real prophet. He'll teach you how to do what he does. Right? Now, let me tell you a little, little side bit about prophets. Every good prophet is raised up by another good prophet. It's just the discipleship method. The prophets that I look to in my life, they didn't become prophets because they got a great Facebook page and a podcast, right? They were raised up by a man of God or a woman of God who discipled them in how to follow Jesus. Those are the guys that you look to. And listen, everyone, there's no prophet that you're going to find that's without fault or has made mistakes in prophetic words. They all make mistakes, right? It's like trying to find a kid who's learned how to ride the bike without ever falling. Everybody falls. But the office of the prophet, you should, we honor it because it's a gift that Christ has given also to the church. We need prophets. We have them come through this church all the time. In this house, there are prophetic ability or God raises up prophets to speak to us. 
it's not a position of authority in the sense of we can lord it over people. It's a position of authority in that we are to serve the church with our prophetic ability when you're in the office of a prophet. So there's the gift that God gives, the office, and then there's the charisma gift. And that's really what we're talking about here tonight. So God gives the gift, but listen to this. Authority to exercise your gift is given by men. So let's say you're a prophet or you have a prophetic word. You have the gift, but the authority to use it has to be given to you by people, as in in the church. So, for example, I get a word one day. If I get a word during Sunday morning, Pastor Lloyd, I've got a word, and 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 I bring it to him. He has the authority in this house. He's the pastor, right? And so if he says, hey, Stephen, just hold it for a minute, guess what? The gift of the prophet is subject, the gift of the prophet is subject to the prophet. I can tell myself, I'm going to hold this. Because who has the authority? The one with the gift? No. The one that's been given authority, right? Now, we have a culture here at the church where if you have a prophetic word, we want to hear it. But you still have to go through authority. Because sometimes you'll come and it'll be a great word, but not right now. Or the Lord might be just telling you what the message is going to be about. And so we always want to walk in the line of authority. God gives the gift, but the authority to speak into people's lives comes from men. You might have a word for somebody. If they don't want to hear it, guess what? They're not going to hear it. They have to give you that authority to speak into their life. Does that make sense? Okay, stay with me. Uh, Authority to exercise your gift is given by men. And for example... When I talk about even the gift of the prophet or any gifting or office in the church, you'll notice that it has to be transferred from someone who has it to someone who doesn't. So when Jesus comes on the scene, everybody thinks Jesus was this rogue rabbi that came out of nowhere. You know, Jesus had to be introduced and his authority given to him by John the Baptist. Who recognized Jesus when he came on the scene of his ministry? It was John. Some of you think, oh, it was just John. John was just a nobody. No. John is the son of the high priest who's moving in the spirit and power of Elijah that everybody recognized. John's father, Zacharias, was the high priest, which made John what? The Levite, the authority of the church that recognized Jesus. If Jesus had to have a predecessor, every prophet has to have someone that brings them into authority. If you look at the story of um, Paul and Barnabas. Paul was this phenomenal apostle. Do you know Barnabas discipled Paul for some 10 years before Paul even picks up his pen to write the book of Galatians? It was Barnabas that goes to Tarsus, gets Paul, brings him to Jerusalem, sets him in front of the apostles, and says, this is the guy that that we need to start discipling, pouring into. And he's going to be called because God has a calling on his life. Barnabas opens the door. For Paul to have the authority that he has. Why is authority so important? Because somebody with a gift that won't submit to authority, you need to be really careful about. Somebody with a gift who doesn't submit to authority should bring up some red flags, caution in your life. I remember one time this prophetic guy, whatever prophet, came to our church when I was a kid. And he was making his rounds through all the churches. And so my dad, of course, my dad's pretty confrontational. You know, he's just... Who are you? Where are you from? He says, my, my gift brother, my dad, Pastor Sam, my gift brother, Sam, is to go to all the churches and correct all the pastors. And my dad was like, not here. <laughs> That's not a gift. That's called criticism. It's not a gift of the spirit, right? 
people that are not submitted to a local church, a pastor, they're not moving in an authority that God has given them. They're in an, moving in an authority that they've assumed for themselves, right? If you have a gift, it doesn't mean you have authority. People have to give you that authority to speak in their life. Okay, prophecy is cultivated first personally and then publicly. We must hear God for our own lives before hearing for others. So here's a little nuts and bolts for you. If you want to move in the gift of prophecy, ask God for a word for yourself. God needs to speak to you about you first and change things in your life first. And then you need to see the fulfillment of those prophecies in your life long before you'll start seeing it in other people's lives. I can't even say in tandem with how God does it in other people's lives. But if God can't speak to you about you, then you're really making up stuff for other people. The message and the messenger are one and the same. You can't tell people prophetic words of correction if you've got the same problem in your life because your authority to speak that truth is undermined. Does that make sense? I can't get up here and teach you about tithing and have any power if I'm not a tither. Makes sense in our head. But a lot of times people think, I know all the buzzwords, I know all the analogies, so I'm going to get up there and just preach this thing out and lives are going to be changed. But you have no power because power comes through obedience, not through just communication. Power comes through obedience. I can talk to you about finances and tithing because I've lived this thing out for decades. And I'm not saying that as a pride statement. I'm saying experience gives you ability to have revelation a lot more than just reading a good book and preaching a good message from YouTube. Experience gives you power to demonstrate what you're teaching. And that goes for prophecy. You have to experience an ability to hear God's voice for yourself long before you start preaching or teaching or giving prophetic words to other people. We must hear God for ourselves before hearing for others. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24, verse 25, Paul says, If all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. What does prophecy also do? It touches people's heart to tell them God knows who you are. And he knows about your situation. He cares about who you are. Prophecy is to, number one, hear God's voice for other people. Number two here, or point, point two here, prophecy is to unfold God's word to others. First Samuel chapter 9, 27 Samuel, talking to King Saul, he says this. As they were going out to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servants to go ahead of us. And he went on, speaking to Saul, and he says, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. Prophetic voices should always speak to you. This is what God's word says. And go to the scriptures. This is what God's word says. Okay, stay with me here. The way we hear God's voice in the quiet time of reading and meditating on God's word is the same way we hear, his vo hear him in manifesting the gift of prophecy. Do you know how God speaks to you when you open your Bible and you read? That's how God speaks to you first other people. You don't get this overwhelming rush of emotion, this heat wave go through you and this light happen and I have a word to tell you. That doesn't happen. It's just like the thoughts in your mind as you're reading your Bible that God speaks to you, God speaks to you about other people. Now, if you haven't cultivated the discipline of hearing God when you're reading your Bible and praying and meditating on the scriptures, 
then you're not cultivating an ability to hear God's voice for other people. Does that make sense? So how you hear God in the quiet time is how you hear God for other people in giving prophetic words. Okay? So hearing and obey God's voice is how we activate and develop prophetic ability in our consciousness. How do we cultivate your prophetic gifting? Just like I said, number one, hearing and seeing. The word in the Old Testament for prophets was before they used the word prophets, they called them seers. Exactly what it sounds like. People who can see into the spirit realm, a seer. And the word seer in the Hebrew, uh, wrote it for you there, is R-E-W-A-W. It means to see or behold something that can't be seen in the natural. Another meaning is to experience the supernatural or to gaze on things in the spirit, to perceive what cannot be perceived in the natural realm. We get, begin by hearing and, I'm sorry, we begin seeing into the spirit realm by hearing first what God has to say. So everyone does this all the time. It's a natural way your brain works. If I start sharing a story with you about a pink elephant and how this pink elephant lived and blah, 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 and as I'm telling you the story, in your mind, you're creating images of an elephant with a pink color. Does that make sense? The words that I'm saying to you create images in your mind. If that's not happening, we got other problems. You're not paying attention, right? But just as that dynamic works, when I say something, you create images in your mind. That's how prophecy works. God says something, and it creates images in your mind. You're reading the scriptures, and it begins to create images in your mind. That creating of images is the seer or the prophet prophetic gift. Right? You say, well, everybody does it. I know, but when you hear God's voice and it starts creating, then that's creative power. And you start seeing things. God will give you a prophetic word, and you see yourself at a certain place in your life, you an experience in your life. And so the word of the Lord is the seed for prophetic foresight. If you're not getting God's word in, you're not going to see much. A lot of times we're waiting for God to just overwhelm us and whack us across the head with a, a board and I want to tell you something. No, as you're reading God's word, it creates images in your mind. And those images, because they're, the seed is the word of God, becomes prophetic imagery for your mind to capture. Does that make sense? All right, stay with me here. Um, where are we at? Jeremiah chapter 3, 33, I'm sorry, verse 3. We begin by hearing and believing God's word. When we hear God's word, and it, cre it creates a picture for us of what God is saying. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, he says, call unto me. And watch what he says here, Jeremiah says here. He says, call unto me, God speaking through him, and I will answer you, and then do what? Show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That's how prophecy works. We call to Jesus, right? We pray, and God begins to answer us. What is that? Vocally say things to us. And then in his saying things to us, he begins to show us, which means what? Seeing with your imagination great and mighty things which you do not know. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So when the laws of God are given, Moses speaking here in Deuteronomy, he says there's secret things in there that what belong to, belong to the Lord our God, and those things are what reveal to us, and they may belong to us and to our children. There's a few grandparents in here. You know how you direct the life of your grandkids and kids? 
You have to get a word from God. And then you have to see what God is saying in your imagination. And then the last step is you speak that over your kids in prayer. And now you're grabbing out of the prophetic realm what God is saying and you're seeing, and you're verbally putting that into their life. That's the whole power of prophetic voice. God shows you, hey, your child is going to do this. He's going to be like this person. He's going to have this gifting. And you begin to pray and speak that over their life. Probably one of the greatest things you can do, most powerful things you can do, is say, God, give me a word for my kids. And God will give you a word, and you hang on to that. And you speak that over them, over. And listen, they'll go up, and they'll go down, and you just got to hang on to the word. <laughs> Especially in the down part, because you're thinking, oh, God, this is not what you said. But you hang on to it. You know what will happen? The word of God goes out, and it will not come back void. You know what the, the deficiency has been for many generations? We have a generation that lost that ability to speak over kids. And so other voices begin to speak over our kids. And we can take it back. We don't have to be guilty about it. We can just take it back. I'm going to speak this over my kid. Especially when things don't look like they're going the way they're supposed to, that's when it matters most that you stick to what God has said to you about your children, about your friends, coworkers. What has God said to you about them? Grab onto that. Believe that. Behave in a way that reflects you believe that. Okay, I don't have time to dive into that. The next, how do we cultivate this prophetic gift in our life? We may need to ask God to open our eyes. In, first, in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, you remember the story? Elisha, the prophet, who is training up his young little, uh, his associate um, Gehazi, right? So it's Elisha the prophet and his, and his associate Gehazi. And they are in the city, I believe it's called Dothan, in Samaria. And the army comes, the Samarian army comes to... Um, annihilate, find Elijah and kill him because they're tired of him giving prophetic words about the secrets of their plans to the king of Israel. And so uh, Elijah leads them around and uh, gets to a place where they're surrounded, Elijah and armies there, and they're about to come in and take him. And Elijah says to, goes out, looks, and he sees, I'm sorry, Gehazi, the servant, goes out, looks, and he sees the armies, comes back shaking, we're all going to die, you know, Elijah, what's going on here? Elisha, what's going on here? And Elisha goes out, looks over the army, and he says, we're going to be okay, right? I'm, I'm ad-libbing here. We're going to be okay. And Gehazi's like, this prophet has lost his mind. There's like five million people or however many people out there, thousands of people out there with spears. And, and so the Lord, I'm sorry, Elisha says to the Lord, open his eyes, Gehazi's eyes, so he might see. And sure enough, his eyes are open to the spirit realm, and he sees all the armies of the Lord. Sometimes, many times, you just have to ask God, open my eyes. Listen, I'll always play the dumb card if that gets me where I need to go. God, I don't understand how to do this. Can you just show me how to do this? And God will open my eyes. Okay, here's what I want you to do. And it just told me plainly, this is what I want you to do. Listen, I find I learn more with humility than I do with pride. <laughs> I learn a lot more by asking God because I don't know than acting like I do know. Right? Listen, that's principle for every gift, prophetic or not. We go to the Lord and say, I don't know, open my eyes. I want to move in this. How do I do this? And it's not a sleight of hand trick. It's not a tactic, a gimmick. It's about open my eyes so I can see what you're saying. And that's where faith also gets created and 
established in our heart. If we can see what God is saying to us, then we can possess it. This doesn't mean there won't be a battle, but it means we've been given tools to fight for what is ours. Everything we truly need in this life is in the realm of the Father's possession, and we simply need to see it by faith and begin to lay hold of it. A great book that really hits this principle is by Dr. Paul Youngi Cho, pastor of the largest church in South Korea, and he talks about this in his book called The Fourth Dimension, how he began to exercise this ability. God speak to me, and then he sees something in his imagination that God spoke to him, and he believed God for it until it would happen. It started off, he was a poor kid in South Korea, and he wanted a bicycle, right? And so he began to pray, and the Lord said, I want you to see the bike that you want. Now, the Lord spoke to him. He didn't just come up with his idea. See the bike that you want. So he began to picture it and began to thank the Lord for the bike, which is a big deal over there as far as the poverty level goes. And then sure enough, within a matter of weeks, the Lord blessed him with that bike. He's like, wow, this is great. And so he began to foster his ability to see the word of God go out in the nation, lives being changed, churches being built. And sure enough, he built the largest church in the world in a matter of 20-something years. Let me tell you a little caution. It's not just imagine the best life you can have and hope God approves of it. You have to hear a word from the Lord. Kenneth Hagin says it like this, faith begins where the will of God is known. When you know where God's will is and what his will is, then you can start adding faith to it. Okay, stay with me. I think I might hit that point here in a little bit. When we see, when we see God shows us what he has given to us, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You need to see yourself like that. I'm holy and blameless before Jesus. He's in love with me. That takes some faith, especially when you've had a horrible week and made a lot of mistakes. I need to see myself like that, holy, blameless, before him in love. And the voice of the enemy is always going to come with proof contrary to what you should see. Well, if you really were holy and blameless, then you wouldn't have done this. You wouldn't have cut off so-and-so in traffic. You wouldn't have yelled at this guy. Yet, and the list goes on. And the enemy always has evidence against what God is saying about you. And you have to start believing what God says above what your, even sometimes your behavior tells you. Does that make sense? And when you do that, you begin to believe what God says, and then your behavior begins to go that direction toward what God says and not who you once were. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are, un- which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God wants us to see into his realm and then claim that realm for our realm. And the only person that reaches into that spirit world and brings it into the natural world that has that authority is a follower of Jesus. We can see things in that world, the promises that God has for us. And by faith, prayer, believing God has those things for us, we bring it into our realm. That is what the gift of prophecy is about. I can see it. Many times when I go to pray for people, hey, Stephen, pray for me, blah, 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 Uh, my leg's broke or whatever. I'll wait on the Holy Spirit to show me what's going on. Because it might be just a simple thing, but it might be an access point. The Lord wants to deal with more things. And so I'll wait for the Holy Spirit to say something. 
it's easy just to pray the, you know, whatever prayer, blah, 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 blah. But when I see what God is saying, like it's his will, we know it's God's will to heal, but sometimes he wants to do more than just fix a problem. He wants to correct a heart or he wants to minister even more. And then when you dial into his realm and see what he's saying, hear what he's saying and then see what he's showing you, access to the spirit realm of God's healing power can go through you and not just you pay, pray band-aid prayers and not really deal with hearts. Does that make sense? Like someone comes to me, a buddy comes to me and says, hey, buddy, I need a job. Okay, let's pray about this. Let's see what God is saying. And he might be able to get further into, God may be able to speak further into someone's life because I'm tuning into what the Holy Spirit is saying and not just praying a prayer of best wishes. It's kind of like this. In C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he talks about, as a kid, he had a lot of dental problems, that genetically, whatever, he just had a lot of cavities. And he would never tell his mom when he was in pain until he was just in the utmost of pain. And then writing, of course, years later, he says the reason he would never tell his mom about the cavities is because he would rather kind of limp along with the pain as long as he could because he knew going to the dentist was not just an issue of fixing one cavity. It meant doing a lot of other dental work to fix the problem he had with his teeth. And that's what prophecy does. It's to pull people into a place to deal with the problem, the brokenness in their nature, not just, hey, I got a good word for you so you can feel a little better today. A lot of times we want the prophet to give us a word, but only a good one. And only on a good day when the music's just right at church. And once I get the good part out of the way, don't tell me anything else. Let me tell you a little secret about prophecy. God will give you a promise, but he also tells you how to get it. And if there's no obedience, the promise never happens. Every prophetic word, I should say, most, let's say this way, most prophetic words, God gives you a promise. But it also gives you a how to get there. And obedience, right? You remember the story? Probably the best one, huh? The angel of the Lord appears to Mary. Says, "Listen, you're going to have a kid. Uh, uh, Mary's not dumb. There's got to be a man involved. What's going on, right? You're going to have a kid. Promise, great promise. And this kid will be the son of the Most High God. Whoa, awesome promise. And then the angel tells Mary." her part of this, this situation. The Spirit of the Lord will overshadow you, and the thing that's born inside of you will be Jesus. And you will call his name. She gives him the direction. This is what you call him. Right? And then after the angel leaves, she's thinking this through, like, what is going to happen? She has to do what? Believe what the angel said. What would have happened if she didn't believe? She would have went on, got married, Right? And then virgin birth goes out the window. She had to believe. So she has to go to Joseph and says, okay, Joseph, listen, here's what's going to happen. The angel told me this. And this is what he told me to do. Call him this. So she had an action. Told him She didn't understand it. But she had to believe. And then she had to, I'm going to obey this. When we have this child, I'm going to name him this. Sometimes the obedience doesn't seem relevant to the word that we're given. But the obedience is very important. Do this. And then when God gives our part to do, he'll do his part. Many times God gives me a prophetic word. He says, Stephen, I want you to, and this is all going to happen. And he says, now I want you to do this. And it's like totally not connected. But I find if I obey, it opens the door for God to do things. Okay? You still with me?
I know y'all probably heard all this before, right? Um, jump down to this. When you see in the Spirit, whatever you see in the Spirit in, in prophetic ability, it also comes with the power to do. So let's say I see myself not struggling financially anymore. With that foresight, let's say I, I read the word, the scripture that says, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then I see myself on that word not struggling financially. I can see myself doing that. Now, here's the, the test is going to come. Washer's going to break. Car's going to have problems. But I have to see myself not struggling, my heart at rest, even in financial crisis. And the more I see myself, you know what also comes with that word? The power to sustain until it's happened. The power to sustain. It's like Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. It says, we have received the spirit which is of God, that we may know the things which are freely given to us. So God not only gives us a word, but he gives us the power to believe him, if we'll follow through and keep believing. And I'm speaking a little abstract. We're going to tie this down here in just a minute. When we see the promise of God internally, we are also given the seed of faith to believe. Listen, so many times people get a great prophetic word, but the enemy waits to plant doubt, and you just have to keep fighting for that faith to grow. Faith always comes in seed form. The miracle comes in tree form. God never gives us the tree. He just gives you the seed. How much seed do you need? Jesus says, if you have faith the size of the smallest seed in the world, the mustard seed, then you can say. You know what he's saying? It only takes a little bit. A little bit of God, I believe you. In spite of my feelings, I believe you. So when a prophetic word comes, it just comes in seed form. But you keep believing, God spoke this to me. And the more you believe this, not just intellectually, but you begin to confess those things that God has spoken to you. You begin to believe them in your heart. Why is confession important? Because it gets it from here down to here. You believe it in your heart. You believe it in your heart. And then what happens? Fruit starts coming out of that. Okay. Uh, John 5, verse 19. The scripture says, Jesus saw the Father. He says, I only do those things that I see the Father do. Many times when I'm praying for people, I'll see them get healed. Or I'll see them in a situation. And as I see it, then I say it, and God begins to touch their life, heal their body, break off addictions. So I see, and as I see, I say it in my mouth. Now, is there a chance you'll miss it? Absolutely. You know what that's called? A test in humility. Right? When you miss it, it's okay. I thought I saw this. I was wrong. I'm going to keep believing the Lord for prophetic words. Okay. I'm going to jump down here because we're running out of time and just kind of give you, kind of wrap all this up in an illustration here. Many times, listen, as we're cultivating the gifts of prophecy in our life, there's this, how should we say it? There's this false belief that we're going to go from no prophetic gifting to the super giant in prophecy in a short period of time. This is a lifelong journey of developing your gifting. It's like trying to go from no musical skill to becoming a pop star in six months. Anybody that sells you a program like that is messing with your head, <laughs> right? There's no shortcuts. In fact, I was, you know, blogging the other day, and it seems, you know, I'm on social media 
off and on, and I'll see these ads, you know, become a powerful motivational speaker in six weeks or uh, fill your church 50% more in 12 weeks with this software. And, you know, just, and I look at those and I think, do people really believe this stuff? <laughs> you know, I'm like, if you want a shortcut, there's plenty for sale. They may or may not work, but there's plenty for sale. Cultivating a gift of prophecy in your life, it's a long haul. It's a marathon. And it begins, like we said, you and your time with the Lord. God, what are you saying to me? Listen, God wants to speak through every one of us. He really does. He really wants to give you an ability to speak prophetically into people's life. Prophecy is just a tool on this belt of ability that God wants to work through you to bring people to Jesus. All of us desire it. But let me tell you, it takes sometimes a lifetime to cultivate and move in this gift in a way that's effective. And that's not to discourage you. It's just to tell you it's not an overnight process. I remember when I was with Prophet Phil, the first time we went on a mission trip, we went to Israel with him. And uh, I was just new to this thing, new to prophetic words and stuff. So I, he would give words, and as I was giving a word, I would start seeing kind of in the screen in my imagination, like everyone has, what he was saying. And sure enough, after a while, I knew what he was going to say before he said it, as in I could see the images he was going to talk about. Great way to build your prophetic ability is get around some prophetic people, right? Now, there's a lot of people that are crazy that think prophecy is crazy, so therefore because I'm crazy, I'm prophetic. That's not the truth, right? Just because you have an overactive imagination doesn't make you prophetic. When you have an appetite for God's word and you see those things happening over and over, that, inc that increases your ability. Does that make sense? Prophets seem weird, but just because you're weird doesn't mean you're a prophet. That's a nice way to say it. Okay? So I'm hanging around Prophet Phil, and, and the more he's doing this, then I start seeing things. And then after a while, I start praying for people. Almost every time now, when I pray for somebody, I'll see something. Almost. It's not 100%. Not quite there. Terry's there now. You can pray with him after church. I'm not. But here's what I'm saying. That's how you do it in this context. Prophes prophetic gifting is an ability given to you to help people, not to promote yourself. To help people. All these gifts are to equip, exhort, help people. The more powerful your gift, the more people you should be serving. Unfortunately, in the church, we've kind of got that flip. The more powerful my gift, the more people should be serving me. No, that's horrible. That's the worst. The more powerful you get in this gifting, the more people you should be serving, pouring out your life for. Right about the first time I, I met with Prophet Phil, and I think shortly after that, uh, well, maybe it was a little bit before that, right before we had our firstborn son, the Lord uh, came to me in a dream. It was just a little dream. We'd just gotten married. It was 2006, I believe. 2000, yeah, 2006, I think I don't when I got married. My wife's out of town. I don't remember anything. Um, I had a dream. And in my dream, me and my wife were sitting in our living room at this house that, that I was not familiar with. And uh, around the back of this corner of this couch comes this little boy. And I knew the little boy coming around the corner was my son. I remember looking in the dream at him and seeing his eyes, his little straight hair and fudgy little cheeks and wobbling around. And I woke up from the dream. I was like, oh, 
okay. So I told my wife, you know, a couple of days later when I remembered to tell my wife those things. <laughs> said, I had this dream, and in the dream I saw this little boy, it looked like our son. And uh, so we talked about it. We were really excited about it. And uh, Jen felt impressed, like, to, to we name him Judah. I had other names. She wanted to name him Judah. And so I remembered, you know, and then the Lord spoke to me that name and the meaning of that, and it was great. And, and then we had a little monkey wrench thrown in the system. My wife decided we wanted to have a home birth. It's like, oh, Lord. Well, I have no medical experience at that point in my life. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I don't think I've even, you know, birthed a cow or anything like that. You know what I'm saying? No farm experience, nothing. And so she gave me this book uh, to read, of course, read through it. And then we started praying about it. And then so the kind of the Lord impressed on both of us, you're going to have a home birth, but don't tell everybody. Don't tell anybody. So we kind of kept that close to our chest, like we're not telling anybody. And we found a midwife that would uh, come in and start talking to us. And she went to the doctor, and the doctor was in, informed and, you know, all this stuff. So we were doing everything we knew how to do, but we held this kind of close to our chest, like, hey, we're going to have a baby at home. And so in the, in the time of our, um, we, got, she got, we got pregnant, and then in that time, we sold our house and moved to this new house. Totally forgot about the dream. Moved to this new house, bought this house, and then we furnished it. And uh, unknown to me, the house in the dream was the house that I was moving into. And the furniture in the dream was the furniture we were buying without thinking about it. And sure enough, the baby's uh, t- day for the baby to come is, is around the corner. And all the moms know that first one always likes to take his time, you know what I'm saying, or her time, take your time. And so we go past the 40 weeks, and the baby's still dragging. Of course, that means the baby's getting bigger and bigger, you know. And so de- water, water break day comes, and, you know, we're all excited. And we call, as we practice, you know, call the right person. The midwife shows up, and we're praying. And she goes into labor, and she's in labor on and off for 20-something hours, right? I know. All the women said, oh, my gosh. The men are like, what does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know, you know. And so in the middle of that, of course, I'm in my house. There's a midwife there that's kind of help coaching us through this. I'm like, Lord, I think we missed you, <laughs> right? <laughs> What's going on here, hour number 18, 19, 20? And the Lord reminded me of the dream. She's going to be okay. The baby's going to be okay. So I, with everything inside of me, had to grab onto that in the face of a lot of fear. I had to hold on to that. So, Stephen, what would have happened? Listen, I had to hold on to the dream that the Lord gave. He didn't tell me in the dream about the home birth thing. He just showed me a healthy kid. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes the details aren't there. But it was a word, and we both felt it was a dream that the Lord gave us, so we held on to it. And, of course, let me just tell you this. We had the counsel of godly people in our life affirming the direction we were going was God's direction. Our pastor at the time, we told him what was happening. So it wasn't just like we had this dream and we ran out and did it without telling anybody. There were people in our council that spoke to us, hey, this is the Lord. You're going to have a son. It's going to happen. And so, of course, she has the baby at our house and comes out this little solid black head of hair, little kid, pudgy kid. Judah is born. And then, sure enough, as the process of birthing goes, everything happens as it's supposed to happen. 
And the Lord gives us some powerful revelations through that time of just what will happen to our son, why his name is Judah, and the things that God will do through him. And so we write it all down. This is awesome stuff, you know. And then sure enough, about, what is it, 14, 15 months later, I look across the living room, and there comes that pudgy little kid around the corner of that couch, and I'm like, there's the baby. Listen, the Lord knew we were going to go through the stuff before we got the fulfillment. It's crazy how God doesn't give you the roadmap through the junk. He just tells you what the ending is going to look like. So you have to keep believing him as you're going through it. He always tells you what the end is going to be so you know there's an end and that you're coming out on top. Does that make sense? Prophetic words work just like this. He tells you the end. He knows the end. He knows the beginning, but he's asking you to trust him in the process. Even in this dynamic of believing God for prophetic words, prophetic gifting, ask God for the end. What does this look like, God? You know, he might show you loved ones being saved, family being changed, things changing in your finances. He'll show you the end, and then he'll give you a direction. This is how you're going to get there. I want you to start praying for them. I want you to start tithing. I want you to start obeying my voice in this one area of your life. You start doing the stuff, and you'll find you move closer to that fulfillment. I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, I'm kind of telling you, when you get a word from the Lord, the enemy is coming out to destroy it. He's coming to fight you. In the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus says that the word is going to be tested. The seed goes in, you believe it. Yes, fruit starts coming. It's going to get tested. But you know what happens? If you're faithful to the end, you'll see it. Let's pray real quick. Lord, I thank you for just your word tonight. Lord, that you want in our heart and in our church and in our culture an ability for us as your children to hear your voice. God, we don't want to just promote and encourage people to move in prophecy just for the sake of moving in prophecy. But, Lord, we want to be a people who can hear your voice for ourselves, for our families, for our kids, grandkids, coworkers. And, Lord, even this, this week, Lord, as we open the scriptures and as we read, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'll give us images, pictures of where you're taking us so we can lay hold of the promise. This is where I'm going. And we can believe you for it. Lord, I pray that you would cultivate in our hearts a hunger for your word, a hunger for foresight, knowing the things that you're going to do. Lord, we thank you for your favor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, I hope I didn't keep you too long. We love you guys. We got some great news to share with you Sunday morning, so make sure you don't miss it. We'll see you then. <laughs> hey, also a reminder, Thursday morning, tomorrow morning, we'll have prayer at 830. Please come, take the time, intercede with us for our church, our families, and our community. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you would like to learn more about Community Church, you can visit our website at ccorange.org or come follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash community orange. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll see you next time.